Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. Welcome back to another season of Wired This Way, Season 2. Thanks again for listening to Season 1. Um, please go ahead and rate, subscribe, review, tweet about the podcast, whatever you may do on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify. We're available everywhere. I appreciate all the feedback. It's been It's been a great ride. The first season was a lot of fun, so I figured we'd come back, do some more episodes. We have a lot of good guests on tap for this upcoming season. So subscribe, rate, and enjoy the podcast. It was like a 4.1 or okay. something. It was enough to where all the kids from Los Angeles were laughing, but I was like, what is this? done. And and my friend Wade, I remember, was in the library. He was from New Mexico. He got up from the library and just ran back to our where we were, the, the dorm. He had no idea why he did it. He left his books at the library. He left all his stuff at the library. He was, we were both scared to death, but nobody else was. And you can't run from it. It's just so, it makes you feel so small. From 94 WIP, it's Wired This Way, a show about the top sports personalities in Philadelphia, their lives, their stories, and their success. I'm Andrew Porter. Brett Eskin, better known as Spike Eskin, has spent his entire career in radio and now is the program director of Sports Radio 94 WIP in Philadelphia, a radio station that was made famous in large part thanks to Spike's father, Howard Eskin. Now, Spike is his father's boss. Spike and I spoke about his father, his childhood, his path in radio, his non-existent Wikipedia page, his rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast, and much, much more in the inaugural episode of Wired This Way Season 2. Enjoy. Uh, I was the oldest of five. I grew up in Delaware County in Brookhaven, and then I moved to Glen Mills. Um, Oldest of five, I have two younger brothers and two younger sisters. Um, what was it like? <laughs> I don't know. I, uh, uh, like in terms of was what? It normal? Like, well, uh, so a lot of people ask that. People, because of who my dad is, yeah. everyone's like, wow, that must have been weird or different. But it's the only thing. And the, the, the weird thing is, is that the older I get and the more I talk to people about what their childhoods were like, they're all sort of weird. And they're, they all have challenges. It's just that mine was different in that. My dad was famous in a in a weird way, in a way that people aren't, you know, really over, I guess. So it had its bonuses in that I, you know, I got to go to spring training all the time. And it was when Mike Schmidt got inducted into the Hall of Fame, I was in the second row and there was all that cool stuff. But then there was also the, you know, odd stuff where your friends' dads would like hate your dad for no reason, which is sort of weird, or your dad throwing out the first pitch at a Little League game, you know, and he, uh, since he was on afternoons, it's not, I didn't see him that much, you know, because it was always, he was working three to seven and then a game or something that, like that, so uh, I don't, it wasn't normal, uh, but it was, you know, I don't know that anybody's childhood is actually normal. Right, um, so growing up, did you develop a passion for, like, music, sports, or anything so- right away? So I, I was the only one of the five who liked sports at all. 
Um, and I remember liking sports in the beginning. Um, I remember liking sports a lot early on. Um, and I think it was just because I was around it all the time. And what was funny was somehow in, I don't think it was in grade school. It probably wasn't until late middle school or high school. I ended up being a fan of non-Philadelphia teams in every sport. Um, I liked the Mets because my dad took me to game six of the 1986 World Series, which is, you know, pretty seminal. And to be in the crowd for something like that, I felt like as a 10-year-old just sort of switched me over. Um, I liked the Knicks because all of my friends in high school were Bulls fans, oddly, and I just loved that Knicks team. I liked the Cowboys because it annoyed everybody. And, like, obviously, <laughs> that's blood. I never really cared about hockey all that much, right. but... Um, yeah, I loved I loved sports growing up. It was a big part of my um is a big part of my youth. And I loved music too. And it's funny too looking back. It seems like most people in high school were either music people or sports people and I really liked both. So interesting. And then you head to Episcopal Academy. Yeah. Um and what was that those four years like for you at Episcopal? Just five any, years. Five years. Yeah, I went there being uh, noteworthy. I hated it. I so my pe- my parents sent me to Episcopal. Most what you realize is most people that are Episcopal are there because they want to get into a good college, right? And they're smart. And most of them were there from like kindergarten. So I showed up in eighth grade, and I wasn't sent to Episcopal because I was like some great student. I was sent to Episcopal because I was a horrible student, and my parents didn't know what to do with me. But so instead of sending me to boarding like horrible, like like really bad, or like what? really bad, like I never did my homework ever. And I think what happened was I was in. Were you getting into trouble, or you just hated school? I just hated school. I didn't concentrate on anything. It's funny if I look back and I wonder if if I had gone to school, I would have been diagnosed with ADD or something because I just had trouble studying and had trouble. I'm not like compl- I was also very lazy, um, and it it was weird because in elementary school until fifth grade I was smart. I did really well at school. And then I got to middle school and it got harder. And I just, I never knew how to study. I didn't study. I was just lazy. So they sent me to Episcopal to try to fix me. And I showed them because after about a year and a half, they were like, I remember them coming back from vacation. They were like, we decided you don't have to go to Episcopal if you don't want to (laughs) because I was just wasting their money. Uh, And I ended up by the middle of my junior year sort of tying it all together. But I didn't. I didn't really like Episcopal because when I joined, I think it was a weird time to join in eighth grade. The only other people that, that came at that time were kids that were there were athlete kids that, that came to play sports, and I felt like they already had a spot. Was this and, during the Wayne Ellington, Gerald Henderson? No, I was way before that. Okay. So it was I, was I was a freshman when Jerome Allen and, uh, and Eric Moore were seniors, Jerome Allen who ended up going to Penn, yep. um, and that was a really good um, Episcopal team. I was a freshman when they were seniors, and then the, I think the Gerald Henderson, Wayne Ellington thing was what, like the mid-aughts, right? It was probably 05, 06. So yep. that was after I left. I graduated in 98. I don't know. It was just a, uh, a bunch of smarter um, richer, or it was just a different culture, I guess, you know, where everybody was focused on college and I was just not focused on college at all. So, not a fan of school, not a good student. Spike Eskin didn't really have a plan for post high school, he didn't want to go to college, but somehow ended up all the way across the country at USC. Eventually, you end up applying to schools all over the country i'm interested how usc comes into play here and like did you know what you wanted to do and how, how did no. this happen it was it was that i i had really a terrible college uh 
college selection process in that I didn't really want to go to college, but I didn't I didn't know what else I would do. So I just applied to schools that were far away that I had heard of. So I, uh, I applied to uh, USC, Miami, Arizona, University of Arizona, and I think maybe Temple as a backup. And I got into all of them, and I decided whichever team did better in the NCAA tournament I would go to. So I picked USC with I didn't Very really practical. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know anything about it. I didn't visit. I didn't I, I didn't even go to USC until I didn't visit any schools. I didn't go to USC until my orientation for freshman well, year. What, what did your parents say when you chose USC? They didn't they, like, say anything. I think whatever. they were so relieved that I was going to college <laughs> that I got into college and that, but I got in there because I was a bad student my first few years and Episcopal is a good school. I think that probably got me in there. But I was I was accepted into this program in which if I got below a three zero they could kick me out and I had to take this studying class and I remember having tutored a couple of uh, Delon somebody that was on the USC football team like helping him get through it because I I don't know what it was but I had a lot easier time handling college schoolwork than I did high school. So I was fine once I got to college. But you were undecided, not really sure what you were going to do. I had no idea what I wanted to do. That Now, in, in at USC, I think it was trimesters instead of semesters. I, I don't know what it was. For some reason, the, the credits were more. So the second half of my freshman year, I took uh, a journal, an introduction to journalism class, and I decided I liked it. So... Uh, but there was there was a very small earthquake when I was there, and it scared the hell out of me. And I had never been that far away from home before, and uh, it may have, it might have been a good thing for me to have visited before I got there. So there was a, an earthquake, and it scared me, and I decided I wanted to leave. So I applied to transfer to Syracuse and North Carolina, and I got into both. My freshman year GPA. Now you're you're talking about a guy who who probably average like a C minus in high school. Right. My freshman year GPA was like 3.8. I had no like right. you hate school, you hate USC. Yeah, yeah. Or did you like your time at USC? I, I know it was just, it was fine. Okay. It was fine and I, I for some reason the maybe the freedom of college allowed me to be a better student than I was in high school. So uh so I got into the What made you want to transfer? I guess the earthquake. So oh, the earthquake. Yeah, yeah. It it fucked me up. <laughs> I, I I you you've never been in one, right? Yeah, no. You can't run from it. Right. Like, I, it's so much different than a tornado or a hurricane, which you, you get warnings of. Like, you know, sometimes a, a tornado can come out of nowhere, and but most times you know when a storm is coming. So if you want to, you can get in the basement or you can leave. If there's a hurricane coming, if you have the means to do it, you can leave town. Yeah. An earthquake just happens. And, and this was like a, a serious like magnitude. It was like a 4.1 or okay. something. It was enough to where all the kids from Los Angeles were laughing, but I was like what is this? done. And and my friend Wade, I remember was in the library. He was from New Mexico. He got up from the library and just ran back to our where we were the the dorm. He had no idea why he did it. He left his books at the library. He left all his stuff at the library. He was we were both scared to death, but nobody else was. And you can't run from it. It's just so it makes you feel so small. And it scared me. So so uh but that that journalism class made me think that that was what I wanted to do. So I applied to the the communication schools at USC or uh, North Carolina and Syracuse. Got into Syracuse and I decided to go there.
You spent three years at, or four years at Syracuse? Three and a half. And I, I had a, a bonus did, semester. Did you enjoy those? Three, uh, and did you study journalism? I yeah, guess. so I got in a new house and I studied broadcast journalism, but it was weird because I wanted to do radio, and most of that major was focused on television. You know, most of the at Newhouse, at Broadcast Journalism, want to be on ESPN. Uh, and so they all wanted, I wanted to do radio and ended up working at the college radio station, Z89, WJPZ, which is still there, which is a top 40 um, music radio station that is a regular radio station. So we had a music director and a program director and a morning. I was the morning show host and I was the uh, music director and all of those things. So I get there thinking that I want to do sports radio. And I started at Z89, and I started doing their sports stuff. And everybody who wanted to do sports who worked at Z89 I thought was so annoying because all they thought about was sports. So I ended up doing – You're still like one foot in sports, one foot in music right now? Yeah. That at, at, that, at, that at, point, that point? at that point, I was all in sports. Okay. But I, th there ended up being this one-hour music DJ shift on after our sports show that they could never fill. So I just volunteered to do it and I did it. And I was like, well, this is more fun. And I thought to myself, I'll never get sick of music. And music people are more fun than sports people are. So I did music and I was the music director and I wanted to work in music radio. And I interned at 94 WYSP. And um, I, the, at that in point, the summers, you, you would do that? Yeah, I was, I was an intern one summer. And then the next summer, I was a van driver, I was a street team member. And um, I just, uh, working, doing sports ruined sports for me at the time, and work, doing music did not ruin music for me. So I thought it would be a career that I would enjoy more and uh, allow me to still like sports. But it's f funny, I, I, I sports went away for a bunch of years for me. I didn't pay much attention. I would say that my early and mid-20s, I just didn't, it was there and it was fine, but I liked the Eagles then because I graduated with McNabb. So McNabb going to the Eagles, so that it gave me a reason to be a hometown fan. Uh, and YSP was the home station of the Eagles, but I, um, I, I wasn't really a sports guy at that point. Do you think um, your dad working in radio led you to want to do radio and, and not TV? Or maybe that's just, do you know why you, you chose radio? Yeah. It has to be because I, yeah. you know I I know why I like radio, and I know why I like radio more than I like television, but it has to be just that I was so familiar with it and I enjoyed it. Like I I just love what what I love is the one to one connection and personal connection you have with the person who's listening because people are listening alone, right? And you're you're there, so it's really just you and them, and you're talking to that person. What I liked about music radio was the idea that you could tell that person, hey. This song is awesome. You should check this song out. And then they would, and then the song could get popular, and, and you had something to do with it. And it was a really neat thing that I thought. And it's the same with sports, except it's not – you're not turning them onto a new song, but you're sharing an idea and you're having a conversation. So that's why I liked radio. And when I graduated and I started – I ended up getting a job at WYSP once I graduated. I asked the – I went by Spike in college – at my college radio station, and I asked the program director at YSP if I could just go by that and not use my last name, and he said yes. So my entire music career from 22 to 34, 35, I didn't have a last name. It wasn't on my business cards. It wasn't on my email address or anything because I didn't want that association yeah, with wow, my dad. That, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, so you worked right out of college at YSP. Yeah, I, um, I sent a tape to every state, I think, in the country to right. try to get a job. I didn't hear back. I heard back from like two places, and YSP hired me to do 11 p.m. to 2 a.m.
four nights a week. And you did that for how long? <sighs> I don't know. I think it was two or three years, right around there. And you enjoyed it. I loved it. Yeah. I loved it. Now, I didn't really make much of any money, but um, which I didn't really understand. It was the most money I had ever made, so I thought it was real money. Right. So I just piled up credit card bills, you know, like I think most <laughs> young people do. Yeah. Uh, I loved it. I thought it was great. But then WYSP hired... We put Opie and Anthony on in the afternoon, and then we put Don and Mike on in midday. So we we um, we didn't have music for twelve hours out of the day, and then the midday guy they put on late at night. So I just became a board op for the Don and Mike show. Um, and then I'm trying to think what happened. Then Opie and Anthony got fired. They moved Don and Mike to midday to afternoons. They let me do middays. I hadn't been on the air in six months, and uh, I was horrible at it. They put me back on late at night. Um, and then later on, it became the, the music director of the radio station, and, and that's how I got into the management side of radio. Um, and then eventually you end up uh, at Q101 in Chicago for a short stint? Yeah, or? they. so here they turned it into Free FM, remember, after Howard Stern. Mm-hmm. So it was um, David Lee Roth in the morning. I forget what we had on all day, but the only time we had music on was at night. And on the weekends. So music director at a half talk station was did not feel very secure. And a friend of mine named Joey Scaleri, who works for Live Nation now and worked for a uh, record company called Hollywood Records, told me about the job in Chicago. And I applied to that and got that job. And um, what a funny piece of WIP history is that Jeff Satellano, who is now our, our VP of programming, um, was working in Rochester at a station that was also owned by the same company. He also applied for the job in Chicago. We were the final two people to get to be considered for that job in Chicago. I got the job. He took my old job at YSP. Um, so he took the music direct, the nights and weekends music director job while I was in Chicago. And then we ended up working back together here at YSP later on. So I, I became assistant program director and music director at Q101, an alternative station in Chicago. Um, they restructured and let go of my boss, Mike Stern, there. So then I was in charge of this music station. At 30 years old, all of a sudden, Spike Eskin was running a music station. Most people in that situation would follow the norms, would play it safe, but that wasn't Spike's M.O. He went against the grain and made controversial, dynamic decisions. I was, I was probably too young to be doing it. I made a lot of... Like, oh, you were in your 30s? I was 30. Okay. And... I did everything. When you become the boss of a radio station of the first time, you do everything that you think you should have, that you always wanted to do. So at that time, a big thing in music was was records leaking on the internet. And record labels would tell radio stations that they weren't allowed to play these records that would leak on the internet. But I, like, said, fuck you, we're going to do it anyway. So when a, a record would leak, we would play it immediately. And sometimes we would play it every hour. Or we would play the whole album. I remember playing the whole new Linkin Park album and the whole White Stripes album and the whole just said like I got on the bad list of very uh, of a lot of I guess record labels at the time because my point to the the labels were you're you're ruining this for us you know you're giving everybody else the music before us so I uh, had a good time there but it was a tumultuous time so then YSP went back from a talk station into a rock station and they offered me the job to come back and be a sister and do middays at YSP, which I took. And then 
become unemployed for a little bit. Like yeah. How does that how does that transition? I guess that was the WIP transition. Yeah, yeah. so I, I found out maybe about a month before it happened that they were gonna put WIP on ninety four point one and I was going to be out of a job. And I thought it was funny because of all the people at WISP, at that point I had started podcasting. Um not a ton and I wrote sports for the WISP website. This is two thousand eight? Two thousand seven. 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 And um so I'm doing these podcasts. I'm writing sports it's for the early, website. Real early. Real early. Yeah. I have my own my, – my old Sixers blog is up on the internet somewhere. It's called They Gave Me a Press Pass. I went to every Sixers game and wrote – so WIP takes over 94, and I'm left without a job somehow. Um, so I, at that point, I had to decide whether I wanted to continue doing music radio and move. And I, I actually had an offer to – it doesn't exist anymore, but I was going to – Nikki Six from Motley Crue had a radio show. And um, I had an offer to go and move to Los Angeles and do that. Or I could take much less money and uh, stay here and, and do sports. And what I did, the reason I decided to do sports is that I was bored doing music. It was not really the same as when I had started – and that was when I decided I'm going to be a sports guy. So started podcasting, started my own website, started using my last name to have like a, be taken seriously. I stopped wearing like T-shirts anytime I was pictured to cover up the tattoos. So I'd wear like a tie and a sweater all the time. Um, and I just decided I'm going to be a Sixers person. And, and I like basketball the most, and I, I cared about the Sixers the most, and that was – and then Rhea, and the I rem- NBA was like booming at this point, or, or, or right before it started to. So it was right when I was unemployed when the lockout happened. Okay, and that was like the first party that I threw. I always said on Twitter that when this when the NBA lockout happen ends, I'm gonna throw a party in my apartment. So the lockout ends, and like I wake up to the tweets, and I tell my girlfriend, who's now my wife, we have to have a party at the apartment for everybody from Twitter. And she's like, you cannot do that. So so I had it at Chickie's, and like 100 people came, and Andre Iguodala showed up. He promised on Twitter that he would come, and Andre Iguodala came by himself to this party. Like, That's there's awesome. pictures of it everywhere, yeah. Um, so in that time, I just – I I sort of created this world in which I – that's what I did, and I wrote every day, and I podcasted a lot. Podcasted with Pat Gallen from CBS Three, um, got a bunch of guests on, and um, I convinced CBS to your job now. I convinced CBS to have me me be this person, a synergy guy. So I would work, I would run CBSPhillySports dot com and run the WIP social media accounts, and also do one show a week on WIP and fill in on KYW News Radio and I ended up doing the pregame show for the Eagles for CBS3. So I did some things. It's uh, it's actually amazingly it's a blueprint for people always say, you know, how do you work in sports? How how do I get into sports media and sports business and stuff like that? It's a blueprint and the media landscape is just do it. Like yes. there's so many resources nowadays. It's it, but, I mean back in 2007 you're way ahead of it, but it's still a blueprint today. Yeah, like you know? that, that you can practice all of these things on your own. Yeah. There's no reason why you shouldn't if, – if you want to write about sports – and there's a lot of debate about whether you should write for free for people or not. Like I, I, I understand doing it actually just to get the eyes on your, your work. But if you just want to write and you just want to podcast, there's no one stopping you. You don't have to do that for anybody. You can just do it yourself. Um, yes, and the ability to do everything. What was funny when they had me do TV here – I had I had not college, um, but there was sort of a a fake it till you make it 
You know, I'd never run a website before. I had only run my social media. I'd never run a social media account for a brand before. I had done sports talk radio two times in my life, but I just sort of, you know, pushed through it. Over the past few years, Spike has really made a name for himself in the digital landscape, garnering over 50,000 Twitter followers thanks to his Rights to Ricky Sanchez podcast, a massive Sixers podcast with one of the largest podcast followings in the city, if not the country. And in between all of that, Spike's gotten married, and also he's become the program director at a very successful radio station right here at 94 WIP. I started at WIP in uh, January of 2008. Okay. And when did we start the Ricky? We, we didn't start the Ricky until – wait, no, 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 no. Hold on. I moved back here in 2008. I started January of 2012. That's right. And the Ricky started team. Okay. Um, so how does all of that happen? So the program the, – the Ricky happens in that I was only getting one show a week on the air and sometimes not even that. So I just wanted reps. I had a Eagles podcast called Times Yours, and if you go back on the Ricky podcast feed, on the RSS feed, these are all there. My WIP shows are there. My other podcasts are there. So I did Times Yours with Chris Johnson, who worked here at WIP, and this guy, Lee Russikoff, um, who we just knew from the internet, I guess. And uh, and I had a gam- sports gambling podcast called... Um, uh, wait, we we always opened it with the uh, the degenerate is what I called it. with this guy on Twitter named Fantasource who's like he lives in Delaware County. He's just like a gambling guy. Yeah, and we would do three team teases every week. You're very big at finding these internet personalities. Yes, like, the, that's who, your thing, right? Yeah, yeah just yeah. find these people. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so I had Fantasource uh, and I did that. So I did the Eagles one. I did the sports gambling one, and. A sports gambling podcast in like 2008 or 2009 is like pretty early on, I thought, yeah. in, in doing that. And then – and I don't even like gambling right. at all. Like, I don't, yeah, I've never placed a bet on a sports team ever in my entire life. You just knew people were into it? Or I, just, I found out what a three-team tease was, uh-huh. uh, probably from Bill Simmons, yeah. and I was – I thought that was interesting. So we would each come up with a three-team tease every week um, and sort of explain them. And then, um, and then I met Mike through a comment. He wrote something disparaging about my father on Liberty Ballers, and I commented on it that I thought it was funny. And I had him on the WIP show a couple of times, Mike Levin from – and and Another then we – internet guy. Just yeah. – never met him. Yeah. yeah. He lived in California at the time. Like he didn't live here. And uh, we decided to do to do a Sixers podcast twice. And I think before I did it with him, I think I did one with Derek Bodner. I did one with Rich Hoffman. And again, this was in like 2013. 13, yeah. yeah. Um, and then Mike and I had a, a good uh, rapport, it seemed like. And he had a desire to do it. He was really young at the time. I think he was 23. And, um, and we just started doing it. People liked it. It just seemed like there was a hole for it because the Sixers were bad. And, and was, yeah, the, the perfect time to start it. Yeah. yeah, we were the only people I remember getting in a fight with, you know, Angelo and my father about Sam Hinkie at the time mm-hmm. and about the Brett Brown. And then the program director thing happened when Jeff Satellano, who was ended up being the program director at WISP, um, was the program director at WIP, left to go to corporate, and I was like the guy in the building who had experience. So I just started doing it. Right. Um, I, so I became interim program director. Andy Bloom at the time um, had me be interim program director. And it was another just 
the idea of me being a programmer at a sports radio station was especially this one was pretty funny and not really anything I planned. And then I would say two years later was when they restructured around here and Andy was no longer working here and put me in charge completely of programming at WIP. That was three years ago. When most people hear that Spike Eskin, son of the famous Howard Eskin, is running WIP, they jump to conclusions. They make assumptions. Those are incorrect. Spike has spent his entire career in radio and has earned every bit of what he's done. It's, it's pretty amazing that, you know, Howard Eskin's son would <laughs> run WIP, but really without any plan to ever do so, right? Like, you never really wanted it, and then, like, you've worked your way into this position. So, so that's kind of where, like, the disconnect is for normal people, I would say. is like, you, it, this wasn't, like, the plan from right, day one. Right, right. It wasn't like Howard's son wanted to get into sports radio, worked in sports radio right. for a while. It was... You were gen- generally... <laughs> genuinely qualified to do it because of all of your experience and the work that you've done right and and being and honestly getting fired from losing my job at ysp put me in a much better position to do this because i had i had managed a a radio station before but never a sports station so getting a chance to work here on the inside for two years before that happened and, and allowing me to build a relationship with angelo saving his life once uh, building a relationship with Angelo, given the history between all of these people and my father. I think for a second about the relationship my father had with Angelo, who he and Angelo hated. Like, like one of, And Ike, who, like, that was one of the most combustible, like, talk shows of all time, is those two going at each other's throats. So me getting a chance to work here with those guys and be able to know them and sort of gain their trust and for them to see that I was not just Howard's son, you know? So I think when I look back, my goal when I graduated college and I worked at WISP was to one day become the music director at WISP. And I was the music director at WISP at 26. And then when you hit that point, you don't really know what you're going to do afterwards. And I think what happened afterwards is that instead of having a three-year plan or a five-year plan or a 10-year plan, I just sort of follow what is in front of me and make the decisions based on like tomorrow rather than a year from now. Like I would love to be at WIP being program director five years from now, 10 years from now. How many years do I have till retirement? Like 22 years. I would love to, to, you know, be here the whole time, but I've, I've found that making plans beyond uh, immediately doesn't seem to work out for me that well. The whole um, mentality of, going against the grain which you kind of had in Chicago did you is that like something you have done consciously is that something like you wanted to bring with you and carry with you or is that just um the way you're wired i think i've always been i used to tell um our programming assistant in chicago nicole i used to tell her all the time that program directors were bad when they were scared to lose their jobs because they wouldn't make the decisions that were right for the radio station. They would make decisions that were right to extend their their own employment. So I, I guess I've always, it's it's been a, um, what's what's the word I'm looking for? It's been a, a plus of mine, but also a negative of mine that I'm sort of bad at managing above me 
you know, I'm bad at managing corporate guys and things like that. And I always, but I always want to do what I feel like is the absolute right thing to do at that moment. But sometimes, like that whole that whole mentality of doing of making a decision for today and not tomorrow and and not having a plan. Sometimes that backfires in in making what I think is the right decision right this second because I don't always think about the the ripple effects. Well, if I do that now that I'm older, I guess I do a better job of it. So I think it's always been how I am. But it's, I, I guess, maybe it's in my blood. I guess I don't do it to go against the grain or be different than anyone. I just sort of do whatever I think is the right thing. And sometimes that is different, I guess. Um, when, I was, when I was in charge in Chicago, I just had all, I had worked in music radio for 12 years or 13 years. And you do it all that time. And you have all these bosses who you think, did everything wrong. So you're like, well, when I get in charge, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And all of a sudden I was in charge and I did all of them at once. That that was probably a mistake and probably right. not a good long-term plan. But I, I think uh, the goal is to, I've gotten more patient in it. The goal is to just do, for WIP, what is going to make the people who listen to us listen to us more and like us the best. That's that's the That's the goal. And sometimes... Um, sometimes that means doing things that I think are or that might be thought of as not, um, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? As not conventional. Right. You know, right. WIP sounds a lot different now than I think it sounded five years ago. Which is something you're proud of. I'm, I'm really yeah. proud of. Yeah. And and most and it's not like we, we haven't reinvented any wheel. Here. Right. It's not like we're we're like, oh, we're not taking any phone calls anymore or anything like that. We're not we're not changing it. The the goal though was to deliver on what the the very best version of us could be, and I don't think anything that we've done at WIP is, you know, oh we do Facebook live shows or whatever. It's not like we do super unconventional things here, um, but they did require a lot of changes and they did require a lot of different sort of focus. But it was mostly just to get back to our prime, you know, like value proposition of what we're supposed to be and less about I'm going to shake things up and be different than everybody. Okay, two final questions to wrap things up here. Um, one, do you think or can you pinpoint a moment in your career mm-hmm. where it was like uh, a fork in the road where you think like things could have been totally different if you did one one or another thing? Um, and the second being along the way, have you had um, – many mentors and people that have helped you along the way and if so who and like how how have they impacted you or maybe not so much Uh, no i'm sure they have so the first question i would say that there were two forks in the road the first one being hmm the first one being when i moved back here from chicago and i didn't think that it was going to happen you know we had talked and it didn't work out, and it was sort of dead for a month, and then it ended up working out. But I do sometimes think about, well, what if, and remember, I wasn't coming back for WIP. I was coming back for WISP. But so what if I, I had never left Q101 in Chicago? What if that job offer didn't come? And and that radio station went off the air completely. So who knows? Wow. Maybe I'm a, yeah. And, yeah. But so did YSP, right? right? right. And, and right around the same time. Right. So I don't know what would have happened. Yeah. Uh, but if I didn't move back to YSP, it's funny. I moved back and to work at YSP, and after a year, year and a half, I was kind of bored, and that's when I started the basketball blogging and the sports podcasting. So 
maybe you know maybe i don't get bored if i don't i don't know what would happen right. so then um that was the first one the second one is when wysp went off the air and i did have like another offer to work somewhere else and stay in music radio and could have moved across the country and and a, a hugely different path but instead i decided to i want to be a sports guy um which maybe was written for me at some point, but I decided to do that. So those were the forks. Um, I've had a lot of like, I've learned from a lot of people since I started doing this. Um, but I, I don't think that I look at any of them as a mentor. I guess I like to think that I pick things up from everybody around me and not just the people above me. I guess I try to learn from, I, I think watching you, um, operate social media i've learned you're not above me in the org chart but i've learned from you that way i've learned from ike uh how, like you know everywhere we go ike reese gets flooded with people <laughs> right like everywhere everywhere we go but he never like it's a it it he is a good example of what a smile and an arm around you when somebody takes your picture can do. Yeah. And he reacts that way all the time. And I think I've tried to take, well, if I can do it, you know, then everybody here should do it. Because he is our most, on the street, I would say, our most, him or Howard, are our most recognizable people. And they both handle it that way. So I've had a lot of good PDs. You know, like my first one was Neil Mursky, um, who taught me, who was my first music PD and taught me. I remember when I was a young music uh, music. DJ and I went in and I was like, "What? We should be playing this, 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 and this. All these songs." And he always told me, "You don't. You're never going to get hurt um, by not playing something. You can always get hurt by playing something." So his position was: people don't turn off the radio because they were expecting to hear something and they don't hear it. They turn off the radio because they hear something they don't like. So, so he was always really, really conservative. And then Tim Sabian was my boss, who ended up leaving radio to go work with Howard Stern. He was Howard Stern's boss at um, the programmer at Howard Stern's channel at Sirius. And Tim was really interesting because Tim's greatest skill was empowering other people to do things. So I always joke that Tim didn't even really know how to do anything specifically. Like he didn't know how to schedule music. He didn't, but he, he found people who would work hard and put them in position to do it and let them do their job. Did not watch them over their shoulder as they did their job, but would let them do their job. Like I remember um, when we were doing music radio stuff, we were working with stations in New York and San Antonio. And he was like, Hey, these stations need whole new music libraries. I need you to go build that. And I had no idea how to do it. So I told him, and I was like, Tim, I don't know how to do that. And he's like, yeah, you'll figure it out. You're a smart guy. So, right. so I went to my office and called the guy from selector, which is the music scheduling software. And I said, I need your help. And I went and I did it. So without Tim, I'm not doing it. Mike Stern was my program director in Chicago. Um, you know, he um, empowered me to make decisions. He he was more calm than any PD I'd ever had. And I, I think had a lot more emotional intelligence and people liked him. And I think that that was a, a turning point for me in learning how managers could be. Um, even the people I worked with in Chicago um, – her name is Christine now, but Electra, when I worked with her, she works at uh, our station in New York. She does middays there. But um, I, I learned a lot from her about how to manage talent because I made, made a lot of mistakes there. Uh, and then here, Jeff Satellano, who you know I worked hand-in-hand hand with and 
I've learned a lot about how to not always do the thing that I want to do right that second and how to em- react emotionally. And Andy Bloom, who was here, who gave me a chance. Uh, David, Ar- I, I feel like I'm just listing people yeah. now, but uh, I, and I don't want to do that. But I, there have been, I think because I've had so many different jobs and been in so many different situations that I've been able to learn different things from different people. If I had never been on the air, right, I probably would have never noticed that about Ike because I would have never thought about being in that situation. It would just be something I would take for granted. I wouldn't know how hard that is, right. you know, to, to be the way that he is in public. So um, I've learned from, from a lot of people. I'm lucky in that way. Spike Eskin, Program Director of Sports Radio 94 WIP. That'll do it for this episode of Wired This Way. Please subscribe and rate Wired This Way on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Spotify, however you get your podcasts. You can email me at andrew.porter at entercom.com if you have any questions. Thanks again for listening. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.